Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Join me this morning in John chapter 19 is where we want to begin. We want to continue with this that we've been looking at. It is finished. Amen. This is the most exciting, joyful season that we as Christians have. Amen. Uh, So important. You know, I uh, was thinking today, early in the morning, that, you know, people argue over when Christ was crucified, you know, and they make a big deal out of it. Well, you know, those people believe he was crucified on Friday and rose again on Sunday, and that wasn't three days and three nights in the ground, so it had to be Wednesday. Well, let me, let me be very plain with you. I don't care if you're a Wednesday person or a Friday person. Here's what I know. He got up. He rose. That's what's important, right? You, you can miss the importance by arguing for your position. Amen. And people will argue for their position, and it takes all the power away from what happened. Amen. Hallelujah. I've had people tell me, well, you know, you're not born again if you don't speak in tongues. And well, praise God. Isn't that funny? The Bible don't know that. Because the Bible says we, we read in at least two occasions when they were people that were born again didn't speak with tongues. Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Glory to God. What's important is that he did die, but he rose from the grave. That's what's important. Amen. John 19, the resurrection is the foundation stone of Christianity. It it is the crowning proof that the ransom that was paid for sinners was accepted by God. Amen. The crowning proof. In John chapter 19 and verse 28, we'll read a couple verses here. John 19 verse 28. After this, after Jesus had uh, given John the care of his mother Mary, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. So after this, after he did that, Jesus knew that all things were now accomplished. He had done everything that he could do, everything that he was supposed to do. And now to fulfill the last scripture, he said, I thirst. Psalm 69, 21, when they, it says they gave me vinegar to drink and gall for my meat. And Jesus fulfilled all the scripture at that point. And he said, notice, he knew that all things were accomplished. That word accomplished means to do just as commanded. And generally, it involves the notion of time. So meaning to perform the last act which completes a process, to accomplish, to fulfill. So he knew that all things were accomplished. That was the focus of Jesus. In John 4, 34, he said, he said, I came to do the will of my Father and to finish it. 
in John 17, uh, chapter 4, he said, I have come. He was praying to the Father, praying for the disciples. And he said, I have finished the work you gave me to do. Now, he wasn't talking about dying on the cross yet. He was talking about my earthly ministry. I finished it. I've done everything you told me to do. And now I've got the cross in my sights. I'm headed to the cross. And then here in chapter 28 or uh, verse 28, he says, Now all things have been accomplished. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I've got one more scripture that I need to fulfill. And he did so. Amen. Then in verse 30, notice, when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Hallelujah. The word finished here also means to do just as commanded, generally involving the notion of time to perform the last act, which completes a process to accomplish, to fulfill. Amen. We're told that the word is used in the perfect passive tense, which denotes an action that's completed in the past, but the effects of which are continuing in the present. Amen. So he died in the past, but the result of him dying is continuing in the present. Glory to God. Amen. Jesus declared everything is now concluded. The work's done. I've completed that that I was sent to do. That that I was sent to complete. One translation says all is finished. Another says the task is done. All is finished. The task is done. Well, what was finished? Because it said it, all right, it is finished. Pointing to something specific. Amen. What was finished? All the types and shadows that pointed to our redemption through Christ because the substance has come is finished. All the types and shadows are finished. Amen. It's not that we can't preach types and shadows that, that point to Jesus, but we have to preach them with the understanding that they're finished, they're completed. It's just that. It's a type or a shadow. If you see a shadow, the substance is coming. And all the types and shadows in the Old Testament, the Bible says that they were all a shadow, a picture, a type of the one who was to come. Amen. And, and when Jesus said it is finished, they were all fulfilled. They were all done away with because the substance had showed up. You never want to spend more time studying the shadow, preaching on the shadow, than you do on the substance. Amen. Amen. Uh, the ceremonial law is finished. Finished. Not the law. The ceremonial law. Jesus said himself, he said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. Paul said the law is good and just and holy if a man use it right. Oh, glory. He got a little quiet in here. Now, well, pastor, we're not under the law. No, we're under grace, but the law still exists. Amen. The ceremonial law was done away with. I don't have to go to church on a certain day. I don't, I don't have to not eat a certain thing. Aren't you glad? I, right? Because I think pie was under the law. I don't think you were allowed to eat pie. Uh, <laughs> Glory to God. All the types and shadows, the ceremonial law. An end 
was made of transgression by bringing in an everlasting righteousness. That's what the book of Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 says. When it talks about the people being brought into bondage in Babylonia. It tells them, it says, he said they were going to be in bondage for 70 years. And they were going, but, but, but it was 70 years of weeks. And they were going to go back. And when they went back to the land, one day Messiah would come. And he would usher in an everlasting righteousness. The end was made of transgression. What was finished? The work of man's salvation. His redemption's now complete. So important. You know, when we think about Jesus' death on the cross, that it finished it. It finished the plan of redemption. That's why the Bible says there is no other name given under heaven whereby men must. I've heard people say can. No, must be saved. Because there are people with other religions that say you can be saved through this or you can be saved through that or you can be saved by doing good works or you can... No, 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 no. The Bible says the only way you can be saved is by the name of Jesus. Why? Because He's the one that paid the price. He's the one that finished the work. He's the one that paid the price and made all things complete. It is finished. And it's finished for everyone. All of these things are finished for everyone. All the types and the shadows. Paul, Paul made the statement. He said, he said, quit arguing over feast days and Sabbath days. He said, all of those things are done away with. He said, whatever day you, seem, you deem to be holy, that's your Sabbath day. People get all up, 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 up in the air about it. Well, you know, should we do this or should we do that? Paul said you've been released from that. And you believe the New Testament says that the New Testament believers come together on the first day of the week to praise and worship and glorify God. I have nothing, to, I have no mark to try to reach other than who I am in Christ. In Christ, I have no identity of my own. I'm not identified by my race. I'm not identified by my gender just two of them I'm not identified by whether I'm male or female I'm not identified whether I'm young or old I'm not identified whether I can speak English or can't speak English I'm only identified by who I am in Christ because he made an end to transgression what does that mean that doesn't mean you can't transgress it means he put an end to the transgressions power over you he put an end to it. Aren't you glad sin has no more dominion over you because you're not under law? Why am I not under law? Been done away with. For what reason? Grace? Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. You can strive, you can pull, you can push, you can work and feel like you're not making any headway. And a matter of fact, you'll look up and you'll be farther behind than you were when you started. Or you can say, who I am, I am in Christ and I'm going to rest in that and rest in who He is. And you'll look up and you'll be, you'll be miles down the road from where you're at because it was all finished in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah, but the mistake I made, aren't you glad there's an end to transgression? There's an end to transgression. Why? Because an everlasting righteousness came in. Oh, hallelujah. Do you see that? Christ's final word is what we're to keep our focus on. 
it is finished. It is finished. Definite article. It, the plan of redemption, is finished. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. And he did that personally for me. Oh, he did it personally for me. When he said it is finished, he had me on his mind. When he said it is finished, he had you on his mind. It was personal. We talked about that last week. He died for everybody. He died for every person that was born, will be born, has been born. But he died personally for me. My salvation, your salvation is a personal salvation. I was born again by the blood of Jesus. I was set free by the power of the blood of Jesus. It was personal to me. It was personal to you. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes, and notice what he says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So notice, Paul says, the first thing that I taught, when it says, I delivered to you, first of all, first in preeminence, first in order of importance. And notice what he taught. Christ died, Christ was buried, And Christ rose again the third day. We have the death and the burial of Christ in the aorist or the past tense. And we have the the resurrection of Christ in the perfect present tense. With an abiding power. So he did die. He was buried. But he is alive. And that resurrection power is still flowing in in the believers today. In the life of the believer. Amen. It's in the present tense as an abiding power. Look at verse 12. Notice what it says. If Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Now what what do we get from this? The resurrection... Is fundamental to Christianity. The resurrection is fundamental to Christianity. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, our preaching is useless. It's useless. The Knox translation says, and our faith is groundless. If Christ isn't risen, now see, we hear that and we go, yeah, but Pastor, we know he is. But get the importance of it. Because, because when 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 What gets people in a mess is when they start saying there's some other way to God, then why was Christ raised from the dead? The Bible said, we'll read it in a moment. The Bible says in the book of Acts that he was declared to be the Son of God because he rose from the dead. In other words, that word declared means he was marked off by boundaries. Here's the boundaries that proved he was the Son of God. He rose from the dead. And Paul says, if if he's not risen from the dead, then everything that we're preaching is useless. Everything is vain. Our testimony is in vain. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, you're not saved. You're not delivered. I don't know what makes you think you are, but here's the issue. If he raised from the dead, and he did, you have a reason to believe wholeheartedly, I am what he says I am, because he rose from the dead. Glory to God. Glory to God. Woo, 
glory. The resurrection is what gives existence to the gospel. Hallelujah. The resurrection is what gives existence to the gospel. What were the results of the resurrection? Let's start over here in Romans 1. And we'll deal with, first of all, as it pertains to Jesus. Notice Romans 1, verse 3 and 4. Concerning his son Jesus, our Lord, that was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, how? By the resurrection from the dead. One translation says, by being raised. Another says, because he arose from the dead. So notice the scripture. He was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. So as to Jesus himself, the resurrection declared him to be the Son of God. According to the scripture. Declared him to be the Son of God. Marked, marked him off by boundaries. There are others. We are children of God. I am a son of God. You are a son of God. A daughter of God. A child of God. But the Bible declares him to be the Son of God. Marked off by boundaries. It doesn't make my sonship any less. It doesn't make your sonship any less. God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't love Jesus more than he loves me. Because John 17 says, let them see that you love them as much as you love me. But he was the first man born again from the dead. And he was marked off by boundaries to be the son of God because he raised from the dead. Oh, glory. If Jesus had remained in the grave, as other men have done, there'd be no reason to put faith in him. There's no reason. Do you, have you ever thought that, that false religions have no reason to put faith in what they believe? They have no reason to put faith in what they believe. Because there's no power there. You have the power of a changed life. You have, you have an empty tomb to put, point back to. Amen. Glory to God. The empty tomb testifies to the deity of Christ. And it's a forever testament. It's a forever testament. Look, you're right there in Romans. Go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 and verse 23. Of course, we, we normally read these verses, this chapter, in reference to faith and in reference to Abraham and and Sarah, and calling those things that be not as though they were, and which is absolutely appropriate. But he says in verse uh, 22, Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham's faith was imputed to him for righteousness. Now notice this next verse. It was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, and imputed righteousness. But for us also, to whom it, the righteousness of God, will be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Raised to life for our acquittal, one translation says. Raised because of our just... Uh, raised... Because of our justification. So where the believer's concerned, the resurrection assures us of acceptance with God. Amen. 
the Son of God was delivered. Now think about that. He was delivered. God delivered him up. Men didn't deliver him up. God delivered him up. God delivered him up. Hallelujah. The Bible says God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Is that right? The, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit had, had a meeting in eternity's past. And we read about it in Psalms. We read about it in Hebrews. And Jesus said, it's not sacrifice and burnt offerings that you want, that you want, that you want. But a body you have prepared me. Here I am, Father, send me. I'm coming in the volume of the book. God delivered him up. Oh, hallelujah. Do, do you see this? God did not spare his own son. Why? Nothing less than the death of Christ on the cross would do. That's, that's the only thing that would do. We can't ever let the magnitude of the sacrifice slip out of our grasp. Amen. Because salvation was freely given to you, but salvation was not free. Salvation cost somebody everything. Salvation cost the Father and the Son everything. Jesus did not just go and suffer. Jesus went the whole way. Jesus ran the whole race. He went up to the point and included dying on the cross for you and I so we could be set free. He didn't die for himself. He didn't die for the Father. He died for you and I. And when he stretched out his hands and said, it is finished, that means the law for righteousness was finished for you. All the do's and don'ts and the check boxes were finished for you because he died for me. Glory to God. Died for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor he died for you. Hallelujah. You know, and, and, and we know that. And we know that. Listen, I liken it to this. I've counseled a number of marriages over the years, in the years I've been a pastor. And I'll have people come in, and I'll be talking to them about their marriage. They'll be mad at one another. You know, married folk fuss sometimes. Sometimes. You say, I never have. You hadn't been married very long. <laughs> but, but here's the point. Here's the point. Right? And, 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 and they'll just, you know, one will sit over here like this. And just look at the other one. And the other one will go. One of the first questions I ask is this. Do you love them? I'll ask him, do you love her? Well, yeah, well, well, yeah, I love her. <laughs> Would you love him? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> okay, now we got something to work with. Because you love each other. Right? And then I'll say this. What made you fall in love with them? Somebody said, oh. Here, here's my point. People say, what, what, what are you doing? I'm trying to take them back to why did you fall in love? Why did you get married in the first place? That's what's going to get you through. There was something about that person that made you decide, I want to spend the rest of my life with them. Especially if you're doing things the godly way. Right? When you do it the godly way, age, hair color, 
right? Skinny, fat, out of shape, in shape. That, that doesn't matter. Amen. I, I was talking with an older minister one time, me and another minister. And what this minister said just imprinted my spirit. And I'm not talking about marriage. I'm, I'm, I know where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't lose your grasp. And we, and, and we were talking about the, the, this minister, this older minister and his wife. And this other minister was sitting with me. And, and, and he showed us a picture of them very early in their ministry. And this other minister with me, he said, he said, uh, he said, my goodness, he said, and he called his wife's name. He said, she was, she was certainly beautiful. And not that she's not now, but she was certainly beautiful. And, and the minister I was with said this. He said, well, you know, she has, uh, 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 as she's gotten older, you know, she's, she's, she's gained a little weight and, and, you know, not as maybe as trim as she once was. And then he, he stopped for a moment and he looked at us and he said, but there are things that are more important than how much you weigh. Oh, that imprinted my spirit. That just stuck with me. There are things that are more important, right? When, when you think about that, why did you marry that person that you're married to? And people say, well, we're having trouble in our marriage. We're more like roommates. Well, what happened? When did you forget what they meant to you? When did you forget, right? I've talked to men before, and I've said, you mean, you mean that you are not in love with the woman that bore your children, that is put up with you? And, and somehow now you're not in love with her. The best years of her life were given to you. And somehow now you're not in love with her. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, you know, I just don't know if I love him anymore. The man that got up every day and went to work and sacrificed, went out in the cold, went out in the heat, worked extra hours. You'd tell him there was something you needed and he'd work extra hours to get it or take a second job and now you're going to look at him and say, I don't love him? Right? When, when, when did you forget? When did you forget what they meant to you? Amen. I've made as many mistakes in my... No, I, probably not as many as Jim, but I've made a lot of mistakes... <laughs> Hallelujah. And I know I hadn't made as many as Colby, but <laughs> Amen. But here, here's my point. I've made, I've made as many mistakes as anybody else. What keeps me coming back is why did I fall in love in the first place? There's a reason the Bible tells us that there was no form or comeliness about Jesus that would make people be attracted to him. It was the love that was in him. It was the love that exuded from Jesus. Everybody knew that Jesus had compassion for them, that he loved them, that he cared about them. Listen, when you look at the cross, don't let the significance of it be lost on you. We know he died on the cross. We know he shed his blood. Why? Why did he do it? Because I couldn't fix myself because I was lost I was undone I was dying I was on my way to hell and an innocent man came from glory and, and became flesh and lived a sinless life and stretched his arms out on the cross and died for me died for me and nobody made him nobody forced him he could have got out of it anytime he wanted 
in the garden. He could have walked away and said, I did my best. I sweat drops of blood. But he writhed in agony on the ground in the garden because he had you in his future. He had you in his mind. And he knew if I don't get from here to there, they're not going to make it. Most men, most men died on the whipping post. Most people died because of the beating. Jesus willed himself. I need you to see that. He took 39 stripes on his back for our healing. He was so weak. He was so dehydrated. They put that timber on his back and he couldn't carry it. He fell under the weight of that timber. But he got up and he walked to Calvary and he stretched his arms out just so he could die. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that. People say, I'd live for God if it was easier. Oh, it's easier than that. There's nothing that I can deal with compared to that. That's why the Apostle Paul said, you know what? You haven't, you haven't resisted unto blood yet. Jesus did. Jesus did. Hallelujah. Well, Pastor, I just feel like I might die. Jesus did die. I don't care what you're facing. It's nothing compared to the cross. And in the cross was all the power to get through what you're facing. In the cross was all the power to get through what you're facing. Glory to God. Glory to God. Every time the enemy brings up your past, it's an affront against the cross. Every time the enemy brings up your failures, it's an affront to the cross. On the cross, at the cross, my failures were wiped away. My sin was wiped away. My, my past was wiped away. Because an innocent died for a guilty. Think about that. Am I, am I helping you? Think about how thankful you would be what if somebody just came up to you and said i'm gonna write you out a check for all your debt and just pay it off you're gonna by by this time monday morning you're gonna owe no man anything hallelujah how thankful would you be if you were drowning and somebody jumped in the lake and pulled you out how thankful would you be there, there's nothing that you wouldn't do for that person because of what they did for me. Well, the, the old song we used to sing says this, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Hallelujah. I was bound by sin. I was sinking to rise no more. But then the master of the sea, he heard my despairing cry. And from the water he lifted me. Now safe am I. I'm safe because of the cross. I'm safe because of the cross. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says in the book of Exodus, God told Moses, he said, I want you to, to go and tell the people to take a lamb of the first year. and I want you to take a lamb for a house. 
And I want you to put the blood on the doorpost and across the top, the lintel of the house. And he said, I want you to tell them that the destroyer is passing through the land today. But where the destroyer sees the blood, he will pass over them. Glory to God. A type, a figure, a shadow of Christ. Amen. I was in bondage. Egypt always represents bondage. Represents the sinful life that you used to live. But one day, one day, you got word. You got the gospel. And the gospel said this. If you'll just come into the household of faith. See, there's a lamb for a house. And the Bible calls you and I the household of faith. That we are the household of God. And the Bible says that we have a lamb. And he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before you ever existed. Before I ever existed. Before the world ever existed. God had already decided that was the plan. Oh glory. And when you were in sin. One day you confessed Christ. And you came into the household of God. And the blood of Christ was put on on your was put on your life and you're safe you're safe you're safe because I'm in the house I'm safe I'm safe tell your neighbor I'm safe do you see that nothing he can do nothing he can do don't come out of the house don't come out from under the blood don't open the door Amen. What if I do? Just shut it real quick. The blood's still there. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, sir. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know what I did. Yes, brother, but you don't know what I've done. Amen. But I know whatever you've done. I know whatever I've done. On, the sir. blood is still there. Everything is absorbed and cleansed in the blood. You are not the same person that you were because you've been through the blood. You are not the same person because you've been through the blood. The blood did not atone for your sin. The blood washed your sin away. The blood took it away. The blood took it away. The blood just didn't cover you. The blood made you a new creature. The blood made you a brand new person. You're not who you used to be because you're not who you were. The blood. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Don't, 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 don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that. That with every drop of blood, it was freedom. It was freedom. It was freedom. Am I helping you? Woo, glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That there are no degrees to the blood. That, that, what it means is this. I, I used to do a lot of work. Used to do a lot of work in the prison system for a number of years. And, and in this particular prison, Brother Jim and I would work a lot there. And in this particular prison, most of the, uh, most of the men in this particular prison, they were all uh, child molesters. That's, that's all we dealt with. And... Uh, I would have guys come to me, and their mindset would be, well, can God really forgive me of that? If he can't, he's not God. Yeah, but pastor, that's horrible. I understand. But God does not put degrees on sin. 
He doesn't grade sin on a curve. The ground around the cross is equal. It's level. Amen. I'm not making light of what these people had done. But what I'm saying, if God cannot forgive a child molester, how do you know he forgave you? Lost my crowd for a moment. I'm saying that for a reason. It doesn't matter what you did. There are no degrees to the blood. The blood cleanses it all. Oh, hallelujah. See, Calvary was essential because of a righteous God and His law. God, God cannot overlook sin. Not won't, can't. Cannot. He's righteous. That, that's why when He cleansed you, the Bible says He cleansed you of all sin and all unrighteousness. And so when He looks at you, He sees you as a brand new creature, perfect and just in His sight. And that's why when you make a mistake, you sin, you're not a sinner sinning, you're a new creature sinning. And he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Well, if I can sin, I must be a sinner. No, 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 the blood took care of that. The blood changed you from a sinner to a saint. Isn't that right? Tell your neighbor, say, I'm a saint. If if your wife's by you, say, see, I told you I was a saint. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. The ungodly that believe on the Lord Jesus are declared righteous. Now remember, declared, marked off by boundaries. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. That's the boundaries that are marked off. Isn't that great? Mm. All the promises center around the empty tomb. They center around the empty tomb. Look at Romans 8. Oh, there's much here. I'm glad I came to church. You know, when I say don't, don't lose sight of this. I remember when I was eight years old. Now, I haven't been perfect, all right? You, you understand. It's not what I'm saying. I was born again when I was eight. I was in, on the front row, Houston, Texas. Preacher named A.J. Lewis was preaching. And I don't remember what he was preaching on, but what I do remember is that at the end of the message, I knew I needed to get saved. You know, when your children come to you, I don't care what age they are, they come to you and they're asking you questions about being saved. If, if they know how to ask the question, they know what they need to do. Yeah, but I just think they're too young. Oh, don't, don't, no, don't miss your opportunity. Don't miss your moment. I say, don't miss your moment. But I remember when I, got, when I got born again, I just knew I needed to be saved. And at that moment, the most real thing to me was Jesus died for me. You know how that impacted my little eight-year-old mind? That Jesus died for me? Don't ever let that impact be lost. Jesus died for you. I've had people say, well, I just want to give up, and I want to backslide. You can't. Somebody died for you. You cannot do that. Somebody died for you. Somebody gave their life for you. You you can't just act like 
it didn't occur and walk off. Amen. Romans 8, verse 33. Let me hurry. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It's Christ that died, rather is risen again. And who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So the resurrection assures us of an interceding high priest. Right now. Hallelujah. There is no room for condemnation. And here's why. The same Christ that died for us is now interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. He died for us and he's interceding for us. So as believers, our future in glory is guaranteed by the perfect defeat of our enemy and the perfect intercession of our advocate. He perfectly defeated Satan and he perfectly intercedes for us. A go-between. One to go between. One to stand in the place of another. Now why is that important? Because that's, the Bible says that's why he lives still, is to intercede for you. He lived to die for you and after he died, he rose from the grave to live to intercede for you. Do, do you understand how it's all about you? People say, well, it's not all about me. It is all about you. Every promise in the Bible is all about you. Not in a prideful way. Everything Jesus is doing is all about you. He's interceding for you. He's making intercession for you. He ever lives to intercede for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He died to make you righteous. He rose to justify you. You, you. It's personal. He did that for me. On, on resurrection morning, when the stone rolled away, I know he did it for everybody, but I know he did it for me. I know he did it for me. Hallelujah. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Am I helping you today? This is so important. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Hallelujah. And you know, loving Jesus is not perfection. Because remember I talked earlier about marriages? You know, you can, you can say something ugly to the person you love the most. Right? Now, ho- hopefully you get to the point you don't. But, you know, you, I have. I know the rest of you haven't, but we're all growing. But, 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 but here's the point. Does that mean I don't love her? No. Does that mean she don't love me? No. When you miss it, does that mean you don't love Jesus? No. When you miss it, does that mean Jesus doesn't love you? No. He loves you more. When you miss it, he says, come on. What's your job? Just go to him. Why? He's faithful and just to forgive you. If you love him, you'll run to him. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14. Knowing that he that raised up the Lord Jesus will raise up us also by Jesus and present us with you. The resurrection assures the believer of their own resurrection. Amen. 
See, should we as believers die before the rapture of the church, death holds no terror for us. I've been working on something, just not really working on a message. I kind of call it working on it in my spare time. You know, we, we talk about how we need to learn to live for Christ, but we got to learn to die well. we we got to learn that when we come up to that place of death, and if Jesus doesn't return for the church, we're all going to get there. we got to learn to come up to that place and know that it's a liberation. It's a freedom day. Oh, glory. My, my spirit's going to slip out of my body. And I'm going to be known as I am known. Amen. Death holds no terror for us. Hallelujah. Amen. Say it out loud. Death holds no terror for me. It's what 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says. It says, grave, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's been taken. When was it taken? On the cross. Jesus suffered the pain and the sting of death for every believer. Death holds no terror for us because death has no victory over us. Hallelujah. Yeah, but one day I will die. No, one day your body will cease to be useful. One day your body will fall over, but you, my friend, will never die because you're not your body. You're the one in your body. You are a spirit. You possess a soul and you live in a body. And one day this body will outlive its usefulness on this earth. And this body, when, when this body falls over in death, it will be because you leave your body. Uh-huh. So Paul says the resurrection from the dead guarantees the resurrection of the believer. Guarantees it. The same God who raised his firstborn son from the dead will raise all his children one day. Oh, glory to God. Amen. People say, how close is it? I have no idea. Could be today. Could be in the next five minutes. The rapture of the church could happen at any moment. Amen. Well, do you believe we're in the last days? I believe we're in the last of the last days. But the Bible says even if you're in the last of the last days, keep working. Keep pushing forward. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. When Jesus returns, when the rapture of the church returns, and the last trumpet sounds, and the voice of the archangel, I want to be doing something for God. I don't want to be sitting around, not doing anything. I want to be busy for the kingdom. You want to be busy for the kingdom. You want to be ready to go. You want to be ready to go. You want to be rapture ready. I, I, I don't want to be sitting in my house and everybody else going me go, well, well, what happened? Right? It's not what I want. Well, pastor, you believe that? Yes, because the Bible says it. I said yes, because the Bible says it. Now, see, if you're not born again in here today, not only are you in danger of eternal punishment and eternal separation from God, you are in danger of the rapture of the church coming and you going through that horrible time the Bible calls the great tribulation where it says things will be so bad that if it wasn't for the mercy of God, no flesh would be saved. Somehow God's going to temper that. Somehow he's going to temper it so that everybody don't get killed because of his mercy. It's God's mercy that you're hearing what you're hearing today. It's God's mercy. You're watching online. It's God's mercy. You didn't just tune in by accident. It's the mercy of God that you're hearing what you're hearing. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Look at Acts 17. Acts 17. We got a couple more points. Oh, the Lord's good. The Lord is good. Acts 17, verse 31. Notice this. Because he's appointed a day, God has appointed it. Let us start in verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, God winked at man's ignorance. Not now. Notice what it says. He commands all men everywhere to repent. What does that mean? Change your mind. Change your direction. Turn. Go the other way. And notice the word, not request, commands. In other words, that's the only way. The only way you're going to get change in your life is repent. Go the other way. Repentance is always the answer. Amen. Because he's, because, notice, because he's appointed a day. So repent because there's a day coming in which he, God, will judge the world in righteousness by that man who he hath ordained, whereof he's given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. So, in other words, the resurrection assures the, the world of a judgment day. That's why repentance for the sinner is imperative. And he's appointed a day in which he will judge the earth in righteousness by a man, Jesus, that he designated as the judge. Why will Jesus judge men? Because he died for men. Why will Jesus judge men? Because he became a man. He is still a man. The Bible says there's a man at the right hand of the Father. The man, Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Do you see this? Look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 22. Jesus said this. The Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Verse 27, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. In 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. Glory to God. And verse 4. Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick or the living and the dead. Now, this is so important because the day is coming and there'll be no escape from it. God guaranteed this to everybody by the fact that he raised Jesus from the dead. The fact that God raised Jesus from the dead proves that he is deity, proves that Jesus is deity, and his teachings are true. And he'll be the judge, and he'll judge in righteousness. You know, I've had people over the years make statements like, well, you know, if, if God was fair, you know, he sends all these people to hell. If God was fair, God's sending no one to hell. The way has been made. The way's been made. Anybody that spends eternity separated from Christ 
will do so because they chose to. Not because God sent them there. Well, he will sentence them there, pastor. Right, because they refused to make Jesus the Lord of their life on this earth. That's the reality of it. Amen. And notice, there's no escape from it. There's no escape from it. Here, here's, here's the inevitability of this. If the Lord tarries for anybody, all of us in here, any of us in here, to die, regardless, regardless of where you stand with, with Christ, when you die, that's, that is the end of your physical life, but it's not the end of your existence. And I will spend eternity somewhere. Eternity. You know, eternity has been de defined as this. Basically, in the Greek, it's age upon age upon age upon age upon age upon age upon never-ending age. Eternity, by basic definition, means to be without time. So, when you're born, you know, you go to someone's funeral and it says they were born on this date, and they have a dash, and they died on this date. Well, they were born here, the dash represents their life, and they died here. You take the, that date off, and now you have eternity. Because that wasn't the end. That was not the end. The Bible says that when a man or woman dies on this earth without Christ, they go to the place of the dead, they go to hell. Now, hell is a holding place until the judgment. That person will be judged by Christ. When the believer dies, we go to heaven, which is a holding place. Because one day we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what we did in our bodies. But here, here's the key. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that one day all the dead, all the dead, all the wicked dead will stand before God. All of them. It says hell will give up their dead. The water will give up their dead. The earth will give up their dead. And they'll all stand before God. And it says one question will be asked. Is their name found written in the Lamb's book of life? The only thing that matters in eternity is what you do with Christ right now. What you do right now is what matters. The Bible says that for the believer, we'll stand before Christ and we'll hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that awaits you, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The Bible says this. It says that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, not for you. There's no reason to go. Do you hear me? There's no reason to go. You don't have to go. Don't lose sight that somebody died for you so you wouldn't have to go. Do you remember the Bible tells us in the book of Luke, it says there, you've heard the story, there was a rich man that fared sumptuously every day. 
had all kinds of parties. It says there was a beggar that sat outside by his gate named Lazarus, and uh, Lazarus had sores of some type on his body, and it says the dogs would come and lick his sores, and it said in the process of time that Lazarus and the rich man died, and Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. He went to the place of paradise, and the rich man went to hell. And it said, in hell, being in what? Torment. He lifted up his eyes and looked and saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. He said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he might dip his finger in water and come and cool my tongue because I'm tormented in these flames. And Abraham said, well, we can't do that. He said, number one, he said, because there's a great gulf between us. He said, number two, you live sumptuously every day and you had everything you wanted and Lazarus didn't. He said, now he's comforted and you're tormented. Remember what the man said? Send Lazarus to tell my five brothers not to come here. Do you hear that testimony? He's saying that to us. He's saying that to you. If you're here watching online or in this room and you're not born again, that rich man in the book of Luke is saying to you, don't come here because it's torment. Remember what Abraham said? He said, they have Moses and the prophets. And he said, if they don't believe them, they won't believe if somebody raised from the dead. You know what that's saying to you, my brother, sister, my friend, sir, ma'am? That if you don't believe what the word says to you about this, nothing can change your mind. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's go over to Matthew 28. I'll share this last verse with you. I'm glad that the Lord saved me. You know, I've had people say over the years, I have, have had people say about me and, and about other ministers, they'll say, well, he was just trying to scare me. I'll tell you something. I would to God I could scare you. I wish that I could preach that part of the Bible so fervently that you would feel fire kindling around your feet and you would know how real it is. Because just as sure as you're taking your next breath, one day you'll breathe out and you won't breathe in again. And then the only thing that matters is what you did with Christ. And you know, it's not the person that's made a mistake that will be judged for eternity, separated from Christ. It's the person that never took the answer for their mistakes. All you got to do is receive the answer. When my wife walked into a little church in Goodlettsville, Tennessee, hallelujah, she had been strung out on cocaine, heroin. Her life was a mess, a wreck, prostitute on the streets of Nashville, Tennessee, horrible life, in and out of jail, 
in a relationship where she was abused consistently, beat up all the time. Man took a razor and cut her face. Horrible life. On methadone, trying to get off heroin. And a, a, a man now, I'll be forever grateful for Zach Reynolds, who, 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 who went up to the hospital when her first husband was on a ventilator and dying and prayed for him and prayed with the family and led my wife to the Lord and took her to that revival, her and him and his, her, his husband, him and his wife took her to that meeting. And she sat there the first night and just nodded out all through the service. Well, they were gracious enough to bring her back the next night. And the next night, she was doing the same thing. And the minister walked up and just gently shook her and looked at her and said, young lady, do you want help? And she said, I do. I want help. And she stood up. And the man of God laid hands on her. And she was free from that moment. Hallelujah. That was over 30 years ago. Over 30 years ago. Hallelujah. That man was my dad. Hallelujah. And uh, hallelujah. I'm saying that for a reason. I don't know anybody that had more going wrong in their life than her. And in a moment, Jesus turned it around. Have you ever thought that all he wants to do is turn it around? That's all he wants to do is just change it. That's all he wants to do. Look here at Matthew 28. Oh, glory. I love him. Matthew 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door, sat upon it, and his countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said, But women, fear not. I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. One of the most joyful scriptures in the Bible. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Hallelujah. He is not here. He's risen, like he said. Bow your heads with me for a moment. Close your eyes, please. What a day. What an opportunity. Hallelujah. I remember one time years ago, 35 maybe, maybe more. I was at a crossroads in my life. And I was up one morning very early maybe around 4 or 5 o'clock. And I lived in a little apartment in the Kansas City area. And I was walking in the dining room. I was just praying. And I remember I told the Lord, I said, I don't know if 
you can still use my life. But if you can use me, whatever's left of it, I'm going to give it to you. And I was praying with my Bible, and I opened my Bible up to Romans 8. And I came upon that life-changing verse, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And I found out very quickly that the answer was to be in Christ. If I could be in Christ, I could walk free from condemnation. All these years later, I'm still free. But what to do with the time I have right now?